I am Rahab. I lived in the city of Jericho. And I had heard of this great God of the Israelites. And I did not know him, but I had heard of the great things that he had done. The marvels, the miracles. How he had parted the great Red Sea and allowed his people to walk across on dry land and escape their enemies, the Egyptians. I had heard how they had um, been rescued from their enemies. How they had defeated kings and taken over greater cities and greater lands even than my city of Jericho. I'd heard of this God, but I did not know him, but I wanted to know him. And I wanted to be included in his plans. And so my home was built in the wall of the city of Jericho, and travelers would often come to my home, and when two travelers came and I found out that they were Israelite spies, I knew that the only way to save myself, save my family, was to help them. And so when the guards came and asked for these spies, I said, oh, well, they've already left. They left by the city gate before it was shut. And so if you leave now, you can surely catch them. But in fact, I had hidden them on my rooftop under some drying branches. And so when I'd gone up there, I had asked them, I would like you to help me. When you come and you do take over this city, Will you spare my family and I? And so I had taken a scarlet cord and I had lowered them down the other side of the wall to safety and I told them to hide for three days. And they said, for your kindness, if you hung this uh, scarlet cord outside your window when we come back, we will save you and your household, anyone who is with you. And so we waited. And when the Israelites came, I hung the scarlet cord out my window, and they kept their promise. And those spies rescued me, rescued my family, and we were saved. And God chose to include me in his plans. And I ended up marrying Salmon. Our son was Boaz. He married Ruth, who had Obed, who had Jesse, whose son was David. And that is the line that our great God then brought our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He chose to include me in his plans. He chooses the unlikely, those that many don't see, but God sees. And he wants to include you too. Okay, good morning again. Uh, we're, if you don't know, we're the story of Rahab. Um, some of you don't know, like, story of Rahab. No, Rahab's mentioned in the story. Uh, but it's in uh, Jericho, and that's we're going to start in Joshua chapter 1. This morning we'll cover uh, chapters 1 through 6. Uh, I'm not reading them all, but um, we'll be in Joshua. And so, uh, but to give a, a setting of what's going on right now when, when we come to Joshua chapter 1, uh, the Israelites are not in the promised land. They're still waiting to get in. Um, Obviously, they've been waiting for 40 years when they thought they were going to be able to get in with Moses. Now, Moses has uh, passed away. Moses has died uh, without seeing uh, the mess getting into the promised land, but led them to the east of the Jordan. So we've got a map up here. They're camped there east of the Jordan, just north uh, of the Dead Sea there. Uh, Joshua is selected as the new leader. He's uh, uh, raised, raised up to be next in command now that Moses has passed away. Uh, and then 
Uh, and, and he hears from God. This is important, right, that Joshua is hearing from God. They're camped east of the Jordan, uh, as well as uh, Joshua picks these two spies, and he says, go into the promised land. Go into the land of Canaan, and I want you to scope it out, especially Jericho, especially this walled city of Jericho. Now, you can see how close Jericho is to the river Jordan. Now, I'll, we have a picture here in a little bit later but we'll, uh, of present-day Jericho, but truly the Jordan Valley is, is low, right? Because the Dead Sea is below sea level. So the Jordan Valley is low, and then Jericho just sits up above so you can see everything down in the valley. Uh, and then above that, which is not listed here, but above that of Jericho, it's Jerusalem. So you got Jerusalem at this high point in Jericho, then the river, uh, the valley, uh, the Jordan Valley. And so they are on the east side. Joshua says, sends these two spies in, says, scope out this land of Canaan, especially Jericho. Uh, and that's where we encounter Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. And as Pastor Jenna had illustrated for, uh, acted out even for us this morning, that um, the spies encounter Rahab, right? They go into Jericho, this, this walled city, and... Um, they find uh, safety, security. They're able to hide. Uh, Rahab hides them at her place, uh, even when the king sends the guards to find uh, these two spies, because you know, word gets around. These two people who aren't like us or anybody else around us, they're, uh, they're in this city, and we want to find them. We want to get rid of them. Um, and so it, we we encounter Rahab in, in her conversation with the spies, and we'll read uh, Joshua chapter 2, starting in, in, in verse 8 and following. It says, Now before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof. Right on the roof is where she's hid them under these uh, branches. And she said to, them, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have... For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water on the Red Sea before uh, you were uh, before you when you came out of Egypt, and when you did, uh, and what you did to the uh, to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And before we get to to verse eleven here, the, she is uh, recounting to the spies what she has heard uh, that were in recent past, but also forty years ago. Forty years ago. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, escaped Egypt, crossing the Red Sea that is parted for them. And then, of course, they go on to, to wandering around the... Um, probably should have trimmed my beard this morning. They go around wandering the desert for 40 years. Right? Because they don't trust God's plan in going into the Promised Land. So, here, so she's recounting things that God has done for his people 40 years ago as well as in the recent past, is taking out these kings of the Amorites and utterly destroying them. Continue on in verse 11. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Who told her? Who told her about this God who is the God of heaven above and earth beneath? Who told her? How does she know? And, and as I read uh, this story in Joshua and, and, and 
diving into Rahab, which there isn't a whole lot written about Rahab. This is it. This is her present life here in Jericho, just before the Israelites are about to take out Jericho. If you've read the story and you know it, um, but there's so much more written after Rahab's life because of this encounter. And so she proclaims to the spies that she knows that the God that they serve, the God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, she knows that's the God. She knows that's the God. She lives in, in Jericho, a walled city where they worship other gods, lots of other gods. In fact, uh, some scholars would say that she's even like a, um, as a prostitute and a harlot of a shrine, of a god. And so when someone would come to worship that God, obviously she would have a job to do. Some would say that she's an innkeeper, and when people came to her home, people came to the inn, she would obviously have other forms of income in this way, right? But she is clearly listed in Scripture, in this story, and in other Scriptures uh, in the New Testament as well, as a prostitute, as a harlot. And so she has a particular position in the world. A particular position in which many people, if any, would say, nothing good's coming there. God's not going to utilize or use or include someone of her stature. That's beyond what God would do. That's not the right thing. That's not the way that it doesn't fit in this particular box. God's not going to use um, Rahab uh, because of what she does for a living because how she lives her life. And yet in this story with the spies, what we do know is that uh, part of her character is she was courageous. I mean, even before she made the deal with the spies about saving her household, she hid them up on the roof under these branches while the king sent guards to inquire about these travelers. Where are they? Send them out. Where do they go? And they send them on a, she sends them on a wild goose, goose chase before even having this deal made with the spies that she would be saved if she kept them safe and then got them out of Jericho by letting them down uh, the window by the scarlet cord. So she's uh, courageous, she's brave, she's protective, right? She makes the deal with the spies. If, if I let, get, get you out into safety, will you protect my household, my mother, my father, my sisters and my brothers and their families? Will you protect uh, will we be saved? Uh, and so this scarlet cord that Pastor Jenna, acting as Rahab, offered to us is a uh, signifying piece for Rahab, right? Maybe even in her time, this scarlet cord was even dis um, a descriptor of, of the job she did, of the work, of her income, of what she did in, in her life. Uh, also, though, this scarlet cord would signify, hanging out her window on the wall of Jericho, that this is where I live, this is my household, this is where I'll be saved. This is where I'll be safe. If everyone in my home, my mother, my father, my sisters, my brothers, and their families are in my household, we're safe. According to the deal she made with the spies, and when they returned to Joshua to, to relay this message, and so this scarlet cord identified her, but it also identified her place where she would be saved, where she would be safe. So as we continue back into Joshua chapter 3, 4, and 5, sort of give the, the layout of what's going on with, this, uh, with the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes. So they're still uh, camped 
on the east of the Jordan, but they make their way across. Now this whole epic scene where the Ark of the Covenant precedes the, all 12 tribes, it's the Ark of the Covenant with the, with the priests carrying it, stand in the middle of the river, the river dries up. They have just, were able to walk on, on the riverbed, the water halts from both sides, and they walk across on the dry riverbed the, as the Ark of the Covenant stays in the middle. Now, I think a million plus people walking across the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant standing in, staying in the middle as the priests are holding it, and they all get across. And Joshua gives orders to one, one person in every tribe, so that's 12 people, go back into the river, gather a stone that will represent your tribe, and bring it back to the west side of the Jordan River. And there they build this monument this, of these 12 stones. This will signify what God has done in bringing us into the Promised Land. These are their first steps into the Promised Land after Jacob and his family left so many years ago and generations ago. And so they camp at Gilgal. You can see how close Gilgal is to Jericho. It's just northeast of Jericho. It's down in the Jordan uh, Valley. So from Jericho, from the city, you can see everything down there. And imagine the the look if you have a, a million plus people crossing the Jordan, all those people in Jericho. And it makes sense what what Rahab said to the spies, is that everyone in here is terrified. They have melted away. They have no courage. They're terrified of what's going to happen. Because they've heard the stories of you and the God that you serve. And they're wondering what's going to take place uh, to us. What's going to happen to us? And they're shut up in Jericho. The the gates are shut. The the walls are, are high. No one's leaving. No one's coming in. And they're camped there at Gilgal, and God tells Joshua, look, here is where you need to wear this covenant, this promise that I made with Abraham. So all these generations ago, God tells Abraham, look, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I had a covenant with Noah, and that was a rainbow, and that was really for me to see, to remind myself, this covenant with this creation that I've made. And the covenant he makes with Abraham is the circumcision, one which Abraham would wear and all his family and people and generations that would come after him. This would be the promise that God's people and the descendants of Abraham would wear on their body as a, signifying the promise, the relationship they have with God. You are mine. This is what this circumcision meant, this covenant with God. You are my people. And this is how you'll be known. This is how you'll be recognized. You will, uh, in this circumcision, you will wear it on your body. And so there, camped at Gilgal, uh, they uh, have this minor surgery of circumcision. Every male person in the tribe, in the 12 tribes, are circumcised there at Gilgal. Now, apparently, we know that maybe Jericho didn't read any of the, or hear any of the stories of how, you know, when certain people were circumcised, that's when you could rush in and, and take everyone out, right? Because that's what Jacob's kids did um, so many generations ago. But no, they're, they're camped there at Gilgal. They're recovering from this minor surgery. Everyone in Jericho is, is in the city. They're terrified. They don't know what's going to happen. And so as the time goes on to re- of recovering from this minor surgery, Joseph has... Um, as Joshua has this encounter uh, with this person. He sees this person as, as everyone in camp's recovering. Josh, Joshua sees this person off in the distance. Uh, who, he sees the sword is drawn. And apparently Joshua's response to seeing a person off in the distance with a sword drawn is to walk up to this person. Walk up to this person. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not walking up to someone whose sword is drawn. Somebody, somebody looks maybe it's kind of terrifying. 
Uh, but Joshua walks up to this person whose sword is drawn and he asks a question to this person. He says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Are you for this, the, the tribe of, uh, or the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes or are you for our enemies, the Canaanites, those living here in this promised land that we have been promised by God? Are you for us or are you for, the, for our enemies? And as we read scripture, and this is in the end of chapter five of, of, of uh, Joshua, uh, we find out that this person is not just a person, but it's the commander of the Lord's army. The commander of the Lord's army standing there before Joshua, and Joshua asks the question, with the commander having his sword drawn, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And this sticks out to me, church, like if you had a whole essay written in italics, and right in the middle of the page, you've got a word. It's not italicized, but it's bold, and it's bigger than the rest. And the commander of the Lord's army says, neither. Neither. This stands out to me like it's bold on a page with everything else around it looking some, like something else because the commander of the Lord's army for me as I read this is essentially look, saying, Joshua, this is not Israel versus Canaanites. It's not Israelites versus Canaanites, Israel versus Canaan. Uh, it, it, this is God's battle. This is God's plan. And if Israel is going to inherit the promised land, the land that, that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Israel's going to need to be obedient to God. They're not going to, it's not going to be, well, here's our plan, and here's how we're going to go in, and here's our battle plan, here's what we're going to set up, and, and, and we're going to take siege of Jericho, and, and we're going to win this. No, this is God's plan. And Israel will follow. And I, for me, in, 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 in present time, this rings true. So often I feel tugged and pulled one direction or the other. Are you for us or are you for them? Pick a camp. Pick a camp. And so often in my heart, I just want to say neither. I am neither. I am not picking your camp and I'm not picking your camp because I feel like there's a, there's a, a way God's calling and it's not over here, and it's not over here. There's a way God's calling. He's calling me to, uh, in, in, in a direction that he's already leading in. Will I be obedient to follow? Will I trust his plan? Will I be faithful to go in that direction? And I feel like Joshua is saying, pick this camp or this camp. I mean, if you pick this camp, then I'm with you. You pick that camp, well, then we're going to have some issues here. I don't know really what Joshua is going to do against the commander of the Lord's army. And he says, neither. This is, this is what God wants. This is about what God wants in, in his way, in his time. It's not God's army coming and being the reinforcements for Israel as they come into the promised land. This is God leading the way and Israel following obediently, faithfully, trusting his plan. All too often, I think, even in our, as we celebrated 4th of July yesterday, and um, booms and bangs and, and, and this huge celebration, to be reminded that we uh, have, have, have this great country and freedom and all that, I feel as if sometimes we're, we get tri tripped up in choosing a camp 
when we can just say neither. God's leading in a direction. Might be some of that, might be some of this, sure. But God's leading in a direction. So I'm not going to choose your camp, and I'm not going to choose your camp. I'm going I'm to go where God leads. And he's calling me in this direction. And so as we continue on in Joshua chapter 6, uh, we find out how Jericho will fall and then eventually how it does fall, right? So for, uh, and this is a picture of Jericho present day. So uh, however big the city was and, and the walls, but uh, off in the distance at the top of the picture, that's the Jordan Valley and then the mountains on the other side of the Jordan. Okay, so you can see everything down in there. It's not all that far away, as you can see on the map. Um, it, it's, it's fairly close, right? So they're camped over at Gilgal. They come over for six days, and they march around. The Ark of the Covenant uh, and seven priests with trumpets, uh, ram's horns, that they blow the trumpet once for six days as they march around. And then they go back to camp. They do that for six days, and then on the seventh day, they come back with the Ark of the Covenant and seven priests with their ram's horns to trumpet and, then, and all the, the, all, the entire army, Israelite men, ready to fight. And they march around seven times. And on that last, on that seventh time, they blow the trumpet and shout and the walls come crumbling down. The Israelite army rush in. They uh, eliminate every living soul and every breathing thing in the city. And Joshua gives the commands to the spies who are outside the city and say, go and get Rahab and her entire family. Go and get her. And how again is she signified? How again is she recognized? How again is she to do that? Will they know? The scarlet cord. They'll know where she's at in the wall. Her house is on the wall. And the, the walls come crumbling down. The spies go in, they get Rahab, they get everyone in her household, mother, father, brothers, sisters, and their families, and they get them out of the city into their camp. She's grafted into a new family. She's welcomed into a, a new nation, to a new tribe. She's, she eventually marries uh, Solomon, who's a part of the tribe of Judah. Uh, she, uh, her and Solomon have Boaz, and as Pastor Jenna says, that the line goes on. Obed, Jesse, David, on down the line, Jesus. You see this scarlet cord signified and identified Rahab. It also saved her. It also connected her to a family, grafted her into a family, connected her to a family where uh, it, it is connected to a family where the blood-stained crimson cross of shame became the symbol of salvation through Jesus. This scarlet cord passed down through uh, the, her kids, her grandkids, her great-grandkids, and on down the line to Jesus where his sacrifice on the cross not only saved all those who are around Jesus, but was for us as well, and for all time. This sacrifice on the cross, this, the shedding of the blood, he, he took it up, the shame of the cross upon himself for all of us. And it brings me to this question where maybe you've asked this of yourself, and maybe even Rahab asked this, of herself as well, but it's how could God possibly include me in his plans? 
could God possibly include me in his plans? If I've made the wrong choices, I'm with the wrong people, I'm doing this thing currently, or I have done this thing in the past, how could God include me in his plans? One thing about Rahab and her life and her character that stands out is that that question can be answered is, God has a plan for all of his creation. What remains consistent and constant is, will we be obedient to his plan, to his purposes? Will will we be faithful and trust that where God is leading, he's calling us there? That we're we're being invited to be people of the scarlet cord where we're redeeming lost things, we're restoring the the brokenness that, uh, that is so pervasive around us and surrounds us at all times seemingly to go and heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God. Does this sound like what Jesus told his disciples and then the 70 that he sent out in Luke 9 and 10? Heal the sick, cast out the demons, proclaim the kingdom of God is near. You have a purpose for God's plan. Again, the reason that Rahab is mentioned, I mean, in her story here in Joshua, it's short, it's small, it seems insignificant, and yet, we read in the New Testament, in in Matthew, in Hebrews, and in James, she's, her name is brought up again, and again, and again. There in in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 34, she's mentioned by name, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Her obedience saved her. Her faith in action saved her. And the, the writers of Hebrews, they continue on there in, in, in chapter 12 and, and starting in verse 1. Because after mentioning Rahab, of, again in chapter 11, the hall of faith, are these, all these people's names and how faithful they were to God's plan, God's purpose, God's people. And even after mentioning Rahab in, in chapter 11, it goes, and, and do you need more evidence? Do you need more names? And they go on and list some more names. Do you need more people to recognize who God is and who we are because of it? And he's calling us into a purpose, into a, into a place of, of a trusting his plan, be faithful in, in, in living that out. The writer of Hebrews goes on in, in chapter 12 to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of, cloud of witnesses, all these people who have come before you, and all that they have done in their life that seemed insignificant, and they became significant when they trusted God, they were faithful. Since we have such a great cloud of witness surrounding us, let us lay aside everything that, that hinders us, the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance this race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, uh, uh, who, um, uh, despising, who endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God took on that shame for us. If we can set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and walk in line with where he's calling us, even though maybe it doesn't seem to fit, even though it's like the right way seemed like this way. Somebody else said the right way seemed like this way, and Jesus like, set your eyes on me, and I'll lead you the way of the Lord. I'll bring you the way God's calling. 
No one in Rahab's time and no one in our time are standing and thinking, yeah, certainly God's going to use a prostitute. God's going to use uh, uh, an innkeeper who has other forms of income. People aren't saying that. And yet God is about including and inviting each of us in a way that maybe doesn't seem like it fits in our plan, in our way, but it fits in God's way. Church, there are so many opportunities and distractions to get entangled in, camps to set up in, and to choose and decide, where do I lie? I've been convicted this week and weeks before as God's been building this in my heart. Neither. (laughs) Neither. Neither will I decide here and choose here, and neither will I decide and choose here, or be entangled by the distractions that come in those. So I choose God. I choose God. Where do you lead me in this? I want to be faithful, God, to where you lead me. And although maybe the thing God's calling me to seems in the midst, I don't know, insignificant. Rahab welcomed two spies, hid them. That doesn't sound super significant. Or like that's a part of an epic story. And yet, by her faithfulness, her obedience, and trusting that she knew this was the God, the God of heaven above and the God of earth below, I will be obedient and do this. And her life is significant. Bringing us Jesus, who endured the cross on my behalf, on our behalf, scorning its shame, covering us, offering us forgiveness. This is what, it's, what it is to be a part of, this, of the people of the Scarlet Cord. We can offer that same kind of redemption to the people in our lives as God offers to us. How can God include, how, 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 how could God possibly include me in his plan? As his creation You are a part of his plan. He has something significant in in store for you. The choice for us is if we'll be obedient, faithful, follow it. As we take some time and the worship team will come and and lead us in a song of reflection, we have uh, obviously the altars up front here for for prayer, uh, but also uh, communion over on my left and a candle of prayer on my left and then a prayer wall over here on my right. But maybe that's a question you've asked yourself. How could God possibly use me in his plan, include me in his plans? And I pray this morning that you hear that he desires to. He already has in store what it could be. Will we be obedient, trust his plan, be faithful to walk it out, even if we don't fully see all the steps ahead? So I encourage you in this time of reflection, hear from God. Hear from God in that. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning, I pray that as we enter into this time of of reflection, that God, you would speak clearly to us. Your, Your presence 
would be felt. Your, your words would be heard. That God, you are the God of heaven above and the earth beneath. We proclaim that God as your followers. And we recognize that as your followers and proclaiming that, that you invite us to be a part of this people of redemption and redeeming the world. Redeeming the world, God. Help us hear from you this morning.